Have you ever seen an angel? Do you expect to see an angel? The Bible says that sometimes we have actually, in hospitality, entertained angels unaware. Hebrews says that angels are God's messengers and his servants to watch over his people. Frankly, I think most of us, if we were to answer that honestly, we really don't expect to have any interaction or an appearance or a sighting of an angel. But the Jews did. When we read in God's Word that in verse 9 they were filled with fear, and then later in verse 13, and suddenly there was with an angel a multitude. It wasn't the suddenness that caused these shepherds to fear. For you see, the Jewish people, they had this understanding of the world that as Francis Schaeffer would say with his two chairs, they sat in a chair that would look at all of this world with a backdrop of the supernatural behind it. The other chair, for those that are really just their feet are solidly in this earth, but without a mind to the supernatural behind the natural world, sit in the other chair. That what you can see is what you can see. And what you can see is only reality. But the Jews had a faith that God was not only the creator, but that he interacted with the world. Bernard Plockhurst, in his painting of this scene, Tidings of Great Joy, has a picture that I think many of us have come to adopt as far as what angels look like. It's very sweet. You have some shepherds on the hillside, and there's a, a dog uh, near their feet, a, a collie perhaps, a shepherd's dog. The sheep are all tucked away in a pen. And then this angel with wings, a woman, a young girl actually, she comes down and then behind her are all these cherubs, baby angels with wings. And they're bringing wonderful good news as if they were telling these shepherds an evening nursery tale. Looking at that painting, and Bernard Plockhurst is also the one, perhaps you've seen the historic artwork where the two children are going over a bridge of very troubled water. And there's a, a woman, an angel, hovering above them to guard them like a guardian angel over the water. Bernard Plockhurst's painting is deceptive because you would look at that and you would think these angels are they're so gentle, they're so sweet and maybe a bit naive. The angels that we read in the scripture, the angels that we read about in the scriptures are first and foremost messengers. And they're messengers from God. They're messengers on it that are sent throughout the Scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelations. They are sent on errands not of their own, 
but from God. In Genesis 28, and then later in John chapter 1, we read that in Genesis 28, that Jacob had a dream of a ladder. Now Jacob is in turmoil. He's become a a man without a family. And he's on the run. And it looks like the promise that had been given to his grandfather Abraham that I will choose you to be my people and out of your line and out of your offspring will come the Redeemer, the Messiah of the nations. It harkens back to Genesis 3 verse 15 where it says that from the offspring of a woman will come one who will crush the serpent's head. The great rescuer that is to come will come through the offspring of man. And he sees a ladder or a stairwell. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. What he's doing is he's, he's, re, he's emphasizing again. It's a fresh inauguration of the great covenant promise. Jacob, you have been shrewd, deceptive, a con man, a liar. You've been a cheat, and now you're on the run. You are no longer welcome at your home. But God visits him and says, I have put my love upon you, and I have made a promise, and I will keep both sides of that covenant promise. Man will run in his sin, but God says, I will aid you to be faithful to secure this promise again. And he speaks to him, and he shows him this stairway, and the angels are coming down, and the angels are coming up, and at that time his eyes are open to see that God still traffics in the supernatural through angel, bringing messages, serving us with these angelic servants. Jesus coming to Nathanael would say, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So Jesus operated with that in mind. And he said that stairwell, that ladder that was broken in the garden will be restored with the Son. So that that stairwell will now allow us once in our life at the end to ascend that stairwell into a welcome heaven. But these angels in the meantime are coming and going. Let's look at our scriptures. In Luke 1, there are a number of occasions where we read about an angel of the Lord. An angel of the Lord comes to Zechariah and says, Your wife, Elizabeth, who is barren, will bear a child. And when Zechariah questions that, the angel Gabriel, a mighty warrior angel, no cherub, no winged figure, He's not floating, but he comes to Zechariah. And then he will come to Joseph. This angel of the Lord Gabriel has a number of messengers, a number of errands to give. 
And I believe it's this same Gabriel, this angel in verse 9 that comes to these shepherds watching over their flock in the dark night. And this angel Gabriel comes as a messenger with great, great news. He comes as an evangel. And he says there, with the glory of the Lord shining all around them because he's, he's come from the immediate presence of God. He's radioactive, as it were. To see these angels, know, you know that they're, that they're sent on a mission from God. These are not false, fallen angels, dark angels. Verse 10, this angel bears the message. Not one of many messages. He doesn't have to scramble. It's one message. He says, I bring you good news. And that, that's the word that we use for the gospel. You hear us at Two Rivers a lot talk about the gospel, the gospel, preaching the gospel to our heart, being people who we find the gospel entering in our conversations, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ is not only has he come, not only has he descended down that ladder, these angels are descending, bringing a message, he's come because you see at this point Jesus has been born. He's, he's come down that ladder. And now these angels descend and they tell it to men. But the good news behind that is, is that we now have fellowship restored with God through the means of this ladder. There's a way. It's a news of great joy that will be for all the people. And, and all the people would include these shepherds. Now, I personally believe that shepherds have gotten a really bum rap. I think that like the Pharisees, that there were many devout Pharisees that looked for coming a Messiah. We would see many of the Pharisees come to be born again. There are many, many shepherds who are devout men. They're not simply the, the scoundrels. These shepherds, in all likelihood, were very, very devout men watching over sheep in very close to Jerusalem and to the temple there. These sheep, in all likelihood, during this winter time, were there as sacrificial sheep. These men were in association with the temple. They would have been devout. That is why the angels came. Yes, they came to sinful men, but men who were like Simeon looking for the consolation, holding on to that promise one day. The scriptures are filled with instances of shepherds. King David was a shepherd. The elders are to shepherd the tribes of Israel. Shepherds were very honorable. They were very close to God or could be. And I believe these men were. Yet, notice, they do have reason to fear. For you see the, the rules that they would keep as devout men, the, the laws of God, even the Ten Commandments can become very oppressive. Oops, I dropped one. Oops, I failed today. Trying to, to build my own ladder of righteousness to heaven is very, very laborious, exhausting, and discouraging. And we'll meet with failure every day. It's like trying to build a Tower of Babel. 
We can't do it in our own effort. It requires God to build that ladder. And then to, as this angel did, open our eyes, turn on the light, illumine us. But when we do that, I see the stain. I see my sin. But then, in that light, very quickly, not left to deal with my sin on my own, comes the good news. And I receive it. So these angels are evangelists. They show us the means of salvation. Perhaps today, you're at the point that you're grieving and you're seeing your sin. You feel guilt. You feel shame. You feel your own self-failings. Oh, you've tried every means possible to discipline yourself, but there you are again. And you've failed again. Perhaps you've even thought, one day there will be a reckoning. And I'm not ready. The light was turned on to these shepherds. Even as devout men, they would have known that they would have fallen short of this glory light that they fell in. If they were to die then, they lacked any assurance at all that they would be with God in heaven. But in seeing their sin, in seeing these angels, and in that light, the light is turned on, their sin is illumined, God does not leave them to languish in their sin, not for a minute, nor us. He immediately visits them with good news. He said, this is news that can make you joyful, because it's for all people. Not simply the most devout or even the worst sinner. It's for all people. It's for any who would receive. And here it comes. The news is that born today in verse 11 is a Savior, a Christ, and the Lord. Now to be just geeky for just a minute, in verse 11, the structure of the sentence is important. The structure of the sentence says it all. It tells us the good news. The structure of the sentence would read like this in the Greek. Born, Savior, today, and then the rest of the sentence. Born, Savior, today, in the city of David, who is Christ the Lord. The emphasis, the emphasis is put on born. It's the first word. And there is no article A before Savior. So it's like putting Savior in caps. Born! Now! Exclamation mark. Savior! Herald! Majestic news! It's good news. Not simply born king. He is that. He is Christ, the anointed one. He is Lord, meaning he will be the captain of our faith. He'll be the one that we'll bend the knee to. We'll surrender our sword of our life to. He'll be our king. But the most important aspect, if we can say that, he's a savior. He's a savior. Even as Christ said, I didn't come for the righteous. I came to seek and to save the lost. Oh, what good news that must have been for those shepherds. Well, in that light, they did receive it. They could do no less. Turn down that? No. But they received that good news. And they received it 
a great joy. And then it says they gave him a sign, not simply a sign as it says in our Bible, but it should be the sign. There was only one sign, and it was a sign of how this good news could be recognized, this salvation of a, by a Savior could be recognized. He would be in the form of a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. There would have been lots of babies wrapped in swaddling clothes in Bethlehem. So if that was just the, the sign, that would have been quite an errand, quite a search for a, a needle in a haystack to find the one among so many. But here's the sign that he who left heaven's throne as the prince of heaven is now as low as you could go. He might as well be on the street. He is now in a feeding trough. He's in a grotto, a cave, or a barn, a stable. He, you'll recognize him because he'll be in more humble circumstances than any child born this night. And so the angels don't tell them to go. They don't say, now go see him. They simply tell him, this is how you will recognize them. And in verse 15, they could do no less because, again, it shows that they've received this not as simply a strict command, do this, go see him. If you go see Christ, if you receive him as Lord and Savior, then you're saved. It's more like he is the joy that you've been looking for for your heart. He's come. He's Emmanuel. He's going to dwell with you. He is your beautiful, promised Savior. Go, won't you go? And they do. Now, the angels knew some things that we know, but there's one thing that they didn't know. And you can get the sermon notes that we put out on the information table and get the support scriptures for this uh, for yourself. I'll not take the time at the moment to read all of the scriptures except simply recite them by book. They would have known about Adam's fall. In Genesis 3, we read that when Adam and Eve covered by skins to cover their nakedness, God promised death, but now he comes and he says, I'm going to cover you. I'm not striking you dead. He ushers them out of Eden and an angel is there to guard that they would not come back into Eden. So they would have known about Adam and Eve leaving the garden where they had an intimate relationship with God. They would have known about God's provision. In Matthew 1, Joseph, Gabriel comes to Joseph and he says, you shall give this child a name, you shall name him Jesus. And the name means Joshua or Yeshua, one who saves his people. So they would have known that God has a plan with this Jesus. He is the Savior. They would have known that sacrifice, blood, is required to fall and be shed to satisfy the wrath of God towards sinful man. That's called the atonement. They would have known that because it was an angel. It was an angel in Genesis 22 that on two occasions came first to Abraham as the, sword, as the knife was pulled back, ready to plunge it into his only son, his one and only son Isaac, the promised son. An angel said, stop. And then later, an angel pointed out a different 
sacrifice. He pointed out a sacrifice that he said, use this lamb in your place. Abraham, God has seen your faith that you wouldn't even hold back your son. God is with you and God will bless you. Angels would have known that the blood of a lamb needed to annually be slain, regularly be slain to wash away our sins so that we could be right with God. Perhaps they were beginning to dial in. Maybe there's another lamb out there. Certainly in the book of Revelation, we read over and over again that the angels make much of the lamb. Jesus appears as the lamb of God on the throne constantly in the book of Revelation. And the angel song in Revelation is constantly, worthy is the lamb, worthy is the lamb, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Angels would have all known that. But what they wouldn't know, as it says in 1 Peter 1, is they would, there would have been things in which they long, things into which angels long to look into. And that would have been grace. You see, angels, the angels in heaven, never sinned. So they never knew what it was like to be forgiven. And the gap between being a sinful rebel not seeking God and then God initiating, God turning on the light, God showing me my sin and then showing me my Savior, showing me a shed lamb, my shed, the, the, the blood of a Savior, all of that they had never experienced. It's like one historic artist who at the crucifixion he shows an angel near a cross where Christ, is, his feet are being nailed to the timber. And this angel, and yes, it's a cherub again with wings, this angel is touching the nail with wonder and curiosity. I can't quite grasp that. It would indeed take these shepherds quite a while to be able to, to grasp the full wonder, but it was enough to know that God now had come. He's come in the form of a baby laying in a manger whose name is Jesus who, was be, who will be my sa Savior. I don't know the, all the intricacies of the plan, but it was enough for these shepherds on faith now to receive that. And to receive it with great, great joy. Finally, we're, we're told that this angel in verse 13 is suddenly joined with a multitude. Now, I've got in my home a number of um, nativity sets. In fact, uh, when we before we sold our home uh, this past summer, we used to have a larger living area, and whenever we would have people over, we would challenge them to count the number of nativity sets. We have about 33 nativity sets, some very, very small, some very large. Now, this we're in a smaller living area, so we don't have as many put out, but we've got a number of them put out. And I went by this morning just out of curiosity and I said, 
How many of, uh, I'll say, seven nativity sets that we've got out, how many of them have angels? One. One of them had an angel. And it, it was not an angel that was suspended. It is an angel that was standing. And we don't read here, it's a small point, but we don't read here that the angels were suddenly flying with wings a swirl in the heavens. They could have been standing around them. But when you read the word host, that's a, a synonym for army. These are mighty men, or perhaps they're sexless, mighty men and women. Warriors. And we don't read that they sang, though they could have. It, it says that they said. Most commentators say that this word say is closer to chant or recite, confess, rather than sing. Small point again. But imagine with me, if you would, a great army suddenly appearing to the eyes of these shepherds. Perhaps they were already there. Suddenly again, they appear. The shepherd's eyes are open and they see warrior angels, army of angels, and they're chanting and they're speaking to the fearful hearts of these shepherds. And they're speaking good news to their heart. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. I want an ending to direct your attention to the Prince of Peace. I don't want you to leave this morning thinking simply about angels and thinking about shepherds because the heart of this is the good news of Jesus Christ. These angels are pointing with this chant or with their song. They're pointing with their confession. They're pointing our heart once again to embrace Jesus Christ as the Prince of Peace who brings peace with Him. What if you today said to your heart, peace among those with whom He is pleased? Heart, God is pleased with you. But how can that be? My life is not where it should be. It's not about your life. It's about Him. He is pleased with those that behold and embrace His Son as the Prince of Peace. Jesus has made a way. Jesus has become my life now. It's Jesus' life in place of mine. The Father is not angry anymore because Jesus Christ has accomplished peace by His death in my place. There's no wrath left. Heart God is pleased with you. Heart, God is pleased with you. Heart, God is pleased. Heart, God is pleased. That we would, like those angels, we would chant that good news and gospel to our heart every day until filled with joy that we might see more and more in Christ and the peace that He brings by His birth and His life, His death, and then his resurrection, where he ascended once again, until he comes down back for us. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would find us as we prepare to receive this cup and the bread.
that we would be mindful that this is along the nature of a Presbyterian altar call. That we would see how peace is accomplished in the wine and the bread. That it was accomplished by blood poured out to wash away our sin. A body broken so that our body would not be broken. And that Jesus Christ did this and accomplished our peace. And he came with this as his mission. He came, Father, determined that he would find us in the dark, illuminate our heart, that we would see him as our shepherd and receive him as our Lord. Oh, Father, we pray this morning that you would visit our heart again with this good news, that through Christ peace has been made and you are pleased with your sons and daughters in Christ. And to this end we pray in Christ's name. Amen.